the football pod on OTB Sports. Have you ever seen a team like Limerick that are so physically dominant? They're yeah, absolutely oh. financially <laughs> dominant. <laughs> the football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Time for us to turn our attention to the Champions League semi-finals. I've been saying this now for a couple of days, but this is some of the best sport you're ever going to watch. So make sure you're in front of your TV tonight for Real Madrid against Manchester City. Not just for the subplots, but for the quality of football. Sam Lee of the Athletic is with us. Sam, good morning to you. Good morning. Um, many ghosts of Champions League semi-finals for Pep Guardiola. How has his general mood been this week is he uh, King Lear raving on the heat or is he actually nice and calm and methodical and his normal self what is it yeah no nice and calm I mean he has been particularly since the international break when you know, come back from that and it's Liverpool twice and Atletico Madrid twice and you think it'll be easy to be nervous and tetchy and whatever um, he's, he was on great form before those games yesterday in terms of the press conference you know He's obviously got that history with the Spanish press. And after the, after the way the Atletico Madrid press conferences went, you know, when they kind of, I would say, misinterpreted his comments on Atletico Madrid style, he didn't want to get into any of that at all. So by the time the Spanish questions were asked at the end, he had like, he's like, I have no idea about that, or I'm not talking about that, and that was it, move on. So he was a bit tetchy in that sense. But I think overall, in fact, I heard from somebody yesterday who just said he's in a great place at the minute. He's, he's loving life, would you believe? We we never quite know with Pep what's going to happen, considering he walked away from Barcelona when it looked like there were a number more years that he could have stayed there to hoover up Champions League titles with the best player in the world and some of the uh, you know the best style of play. So we never quite know how long or if a clock is ticking uh, about his his tenure at Manchester City. But it appears as if perhaps he's here for a longer stay than maybe we anticipated when he arrived. Well, yeah, I mean, he's probably, he's, I guess he's here already longer than we, than we thought. That was six years ago. Um, and, he, you know, he's so, well, surely going to do at least another season. Uh, yeah, if he signed another contract, I wouldn't be too surprised what you say there about Barca. I suppose, I suppose it goes to show that it's not so much about, not always about the players at your disposal, but just kind of, don't, don't, I don't know, job satisfaction, but just how, how nice the, the day-to-day job is. And, you know, at Barca, he was fighting loads of battles, not necessarily with Mourinho and Madrid, but like with his own kind of board, with you know, within Barca, there was so much politics that he kind of stood up and, and fronted, and in the end that wore him down. Whereas at City, and I, I kind of wrote this in my article before this, before this game, and at Bayern Munich as well, at Bayern Munich you had people above his head. You had Franz Beckenbauer, who was an honorary president. But you had Rummeniger, who was the, the president. You had Sammer, who was the sporting director just constantly talking to the media, whether it was good, bad, constructive, whatever. And you just think, it's City. He's got none of that. He's got none of the battles with the Spanish press because they all went home years ago because they got bored of him winning and thought there's no story here. He's got nobody at City going above his head and, uh, and, and talking to the press and putting pressure on him. Everything's geared towards making his life easy and as easy as it possibly can be to manage this football team. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. I mean... There might have to be a bit of a shake-up in terms of the squad because it's been largely the same group of players for so long. But, yeah, he's, he's in a great place and it's, it's for reasons like that, really. So when Pep Guardiola starts as Manchester City manager, the press room at the Etihad is, is full of Spanish hacks and nowadays it, it just isn't. And, and Yeah, yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot. 
Um, and not not all, like, um, and not all of them were, you know, the, the kind of stereotypical Spanish journalists, you know, Al Chiringuito out, out for controversy. Not all of them at all. But I think even like some of the editors back in Spain were just like, okay, well, there's, there's no story here anymore. They're just winning. But there was definitely a sense of glee in the first season or so when they weren't doing so well. And yeah, after after a couple of years, that, that obviously dried up. Um, and the, yeah, they've. Sadly, because they were a great group of lads, but we—I mean, there was enough to to play a full game of five a side each. You know, we we used to go down and play during the days with like nine or ten Spanish lads, but now there's just like one or two. So yeah, that that kind of tells you the, the climate of what they want from Pep Guardiola in Spain versus the reality of how it's actually been. Does Pep Guardiola make a mental note of that? Does he still remember those days where there might have been a few naysayers from Spain in the press room, and does he carry that with him into it to, a, to a, I guess a week like this? Um, well, I mean, it wouldn't even have to be, like I say, before with the Atletico Madrid press conferences, it wouldn't have to be examples from three, four years ago. But, I mean, obviously he would. He'd, he'd remember that from his time at Barca. He'd even remember it from his time at Bayern because when they played Real Madrid that year, and obviously Madrid won heavily, you know, there was a lot of glee, again, in, in the Spanish media about how it panned out. So he'd remember that. But, yeah, with the Atletico Madrid thing, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but he talked about how, how Madrid played two banks of five and he said, basically, what he was trying to say was that is, was, and always will be hard to defend against. But he was like, even from the prehistoric times, now and in the future, that will be difficult to defend against. Um, but a few in Madrid kind of picked up on the prehistoric bit and said that was a criticism. And then every press conference since, they were like, well, you said this about Diego Simeone, but you did this tonight. And he's like, well, well I didn't say this. And then the next question would be like, but you said this. And he's like, well, I didn't. And, and it was just, you could see when the Madrid press came around this time and one asked him about styles of play and Xavi said this and Ancelotti says this. What do you think? He's like, I'm just not getting into it. Mm-hmm. Because he just, know, he just knows the way it's, it's going. It's going down that same route of you could decide Simeone and, and whatever, whatever. He actually said, don't, don't come looking for me in your, in your ba- styles, your battle of styles. Now, this is nothing to do with me. This is something you kind of constructed. And I think maybe people kind of didn't quite appreciate, you know, despite the contrasting styles, you know, the, the huge degree of respect between Guardiola and Simeone, that that was probably blown up to be something that it really bigger, bigger than it really was for the last round. And there could be a temptation to do something similar this time, could there? Like, despite the fact that Pep has said in the past that Ancelotti brought him into training sessions in AC Milan and, and has always had a, a really great respect for him. Um, I think there's probably more respect between Ancelotti and Pep because the, the, the funny thing was, Pep was going out of his way to say, look, I didn't actually say this about Simeone. Um, Simeone did have a bit of a nibble about it. Um, but I think deep down, they, they probably don't like each other, actually. Right. Um, I, I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure that that's the case. But with Pep and Ancelotti, yeah, for sure. Um, they were always very close for Ancelotti. It was in England as well. Um, it, it's funny, actually, the last time they played, it was... It was Everton, um, and I remember Ancelotti saying, look, we, we tried to maybe go a bit more physical and, and a bit more direct, but City can do that as well. And then obviously you can't really tie and outgun them because they're so good at that. So obviously it's a different kettle of fish tonight with Real Madrid. But yeah, for sure, there, there'll be much more respect between those two than, than with Simeone, even though obviously in public, How you'll, do- you'll, you'll always get that anyway. What was your take on how the Manchester City players dealt with the disrespect from the Atletico players? Because it seemed to me, you know, like it became a bit of a street brawl, obviously, and at the end of both legs, really, in, in the last round. But Manchester yeah. City, 
the players seem to, to brush it off in an okay way I'm, I'm not sure maybe I'm just reacting to the fact that they won the game in the end and they had the last laugh literally but uh, like it felt that they, they did okay and when, when faced with that sort of stuff well I mean arguably City were were better at those dark arts mm. you, you can look at it in a positive light or a negative but they you know they they were well you could say worse in terms of the time wasting and um, um, exaggerating injuries, obviously Foden rolling back on the pitch. <laughs> you know, they, they, they did everything that Atletico Madrid do and Atletico Madrid are normally criticised for. But in terms of like, handling it better, yeah, what I would say with that was when it kicked off at the end, you know, Atletico could have had two red cards. They completely rose to the bait. They, um, they lost their heads with it. You know, these are supposed to be the masters of it. You'd think what they would do is wind teams up and then when it kicks off, you can't stand back and watch them implode. But it was funny because it was Atletico who imploded. And City, they only had one book in, in that melee at the end. And that was Nathan Ake just kind of being the closest one to Foden and just grabbing Savage and pushing him off him. Like, probably was a yellow card, but it was nothing more than that. Whereas, obviously, Savage could have been sent off for a headbutt. Um, I suppose the only thing that City failed at in terms of the dark arts there was Sterling should have gone down and drew everyone's attention <laughs> to the headbutt. But they were, they were experts at it. They really were. Ah, and again, look, like you can like, you can like it or not. Uh, I, that I depends made, on your view. I made that exact point in the immediate aftermath of the game, Sam. And the, the City fans at the time hammered me, but now I yeah. suspect they're like, well, actually... No, we should be proud of that because that's the whole point about maturing in, in European competition. You're going to come up against Atletico one one time and then the next time you're going to come up against Real Madrid. So um, they've learned how to deal with Atletico. They haven't yet reached the point where they can get through these two-legged semi-finals to, to see the final. What do they need to do? What do they need not to do when it comes to the two legs against Real Madrid? How much How much is Pep going to just let the team be the team tonight and not make any changes not not fall into the trap of the the uh, Bayern Munich um, listening to the players what's he going to do tonight do you think? Well that's a funny thing because the, the idea of him listening to anybody else well, apart from like his assistants now regarding team selection is just completely mad that's another thing of how he's changed like there was even a bit in one of those Marty Perrinal books about his game against Atletico Madrid in 2016 he was like oh, if we do this the fans would like it. And you just think, can you imagine him thinking, oh yeah, well City fans would like this or the players would like this. Just There's just no chance. In terms of him making changes, you never know. So last year, on their run to the final, it was obviously different because there was no fans because of COVID. But um, he kept the same solid team, basically. And he met, it was either Rodri or Fernandinho or Zinchenko or Cancelo. But everyone else was the same. And everyone thought, OK, no more changes, no more tinkering. And then obviously made changes for the final. Um, in terms of what they're going to have to do tonight, tonight, you know, they're just going to have to just, just play their game. They don't have to try and rush for anything. They can see how it pans out. Um, I think removing away goals has meant it's always more likely to go to the second game. I suppose we saw that with Madrid and Chelsea in the last one. So, yeah, the big difference between this year and last year when they got to the final is they're going to the Bernabeu. You know, the, the crowd is, you know, the, the crowd can really... Um, change things and as we saw with the with Madrid 3-0 down against Chelsea and really on the ropes they created that goal out of nothing and I know a big thing for Guardiola during his time at City but I also think during his time at Bayern as well it's how the team respond to those setbacks you know if, if you concede a penalty or you have somebody sent off or you concede a goal don't you know, lose your heads and then be in danger of conceding another one straight away. I actually asked Bernardo Silva about that before the Atletico Madrid game, and he said he thinks they're much better at that. I asked Guardiola as well, and he was like, yeah, we're better, but it doesn't mean we're going to go and win. Fine. 
but uh, yeah, so they're better equipped with dealing with that. But that's, I think that's what they're going to have to watch out for. It's the fact that they can be up in the game. They can be bossing it. They couldn't be having more possession, more chances. And then Madrid just going down the other end and score one goal. And it's how they react to that. So that is going to be the key to the whole tie, I think, over both games. There's a fair degree of transfer talk around Manchester City on the back page this morning as well as match preview. That's around Declan Rice at the moment. Uh, it's being compared a little bit to the Harry Kane situation where Manchester City may be dissuaded as a result of the price tag that will be put on Rice's head by West Ham United. But I guess the question is, will West Ham United dig their heels in as much as Tottenham Hotspur did last summer in order to keep their player? Yeah, well, I don't think City. I don't think City are going to go for Rice. Right. Um, I think the the idea that they're not sure now about whether you know the, there'd be a saga or the price tag or like these are conversations that City would have had ages ago. Normally at this time of year, they're like, okay, well, these are the guys we want. You're going to come, right? And then they go and negotiate with the club. You know, they, they would have a much better idea of it. This they would have known whether they were going to be able to sign Rice or or whether they thought it would be worth the saga or not, or worth West Ham digging in or not, like a couple of months ago. The, the problem they had with Kane was, Kane was giving them the assurances that he had this agreement with Daniel Levy, and they'd be able to get it done. And then as the summer went on, they just realised that this agreement was worth nothing, basically. And the reason that they signed Grealish and not Kane is not because they, they had the money for one and not the other. It's because Grealish had a, a legally binding release clause in his contract, and Kane didn't. And that was the difference. So if they were thinking oh, we'd love Declan Rice, but it's going to be too difficult. They would have made their minds upon that months ago, I'm sure. So I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you who they're going to go for instead. Um, but whoever it is, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're pretty far down the line with it. But at the same time, a lot of things have been on hold until they get Haaland sorted out. And that seems to be reaching the end game now. So I guess we might start finding out about midfielders and other things soon once, once they get Haaland sorted. And I think they're really pushing for that now. So Haaland is effectively not a done deal, but nearly nine tenths there. Does that mean Gabriel Jesus automatically goes? Because he's been linked with Arsenal in the last few days. Mm. I wonder is that just two and two equaling four, or is that two and two equaling twenty two? No, well, I mean they're they're kind of linked, but I suppose the main thing with Jesus is his contract runs out next summer. So City fans have always had this debate of is he good enough? Is he worth keeping around? And then. A couple of years ago, you realised, OK, he's not going to be the next Aguero. Um, but if you're appreciating for what he is as a good squad player, then you won't really be let down. But the, the thing with that debate is it was always City fans talking from the point of view of, well, we're the ones in power in the sense that well, he is going to be here, so we'll decide whether, you know, hypothetically, he's good enough to be. But now he's got a year left on his contract, and now he's thinking, well, I'd like to play more. And why would I sign up for another four or five years of being in and out of the team? And he's now he's out of the Brazil squad as well with the World Cup coming up. So it's not necessarily related to Haaland, especially because he's been playing more on the wing anyway. And I think it'd be a loss to City in that sense because they might lose a bit of variety out wide. Um, but no, it, it's not any terms. You know, he is thinking, OK, I've got an opportunity to go and play here. And it seems that Arsenal their higher-ups have, have had a, a, a good relationship because, you know, Edu's Brazilian. They've got, they've got those links from previous contracts and stuff with Jesus' people. I think they've been talking for a while. And, yeah, from his point of view, he's just looking at it now, thinking, where do I want to be? Well, how regularly do I want to be playing football in the next few years? And it looks like that's going to be somewhere else. He's still only 25. Like, there's a possibility yeah. that he peaks in the next couple of years and uh, and becomes somebody who is much better than he is at the moment. I've, I've one last question for you, and it's kind of a, a, a question about uh, Grealish and 
so as a Villa fan, I've seen Grealish play a lot and um, still think that he's going to be a very effective player for Manchester City in the coming seasons. Uh, wh- why is it that so many players take a good long time to bet into the Manchester City situation? And is there <clears throat> is there hope for Grealish's long-term future in the form of Cancelo and uh, Riyad Mahrez and a few others who who took time to to peak, even Bernardo Silva. Uh, that yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose even like people like Sterling and, and De Bruyne, who were who were already at City, they they you know they didn't struggle in their first season by any means, but they're obviously better after getting to grips with it. I mean, I I can't put my finger on why. You know, it's actually a perfect athletic article, isn't it? Explaining why. Um, why it takes so long, and it's probably something I'll look, I'll look into now, especially with the summer approaching. Uh, I, mean, I know with Cancelo because he was like, he'd actually, funnily enough, and ironically enough, he'd always played left back for his previous teams in Italy. I think in Valencia as well, but didn't like it. I think he actually fell out with somebody at Lazio, maybe, but, um, about playing left back. He didn't like it. He was always used to just playing down the right hand side. I remember speaking to people when he signed who'd worked with him, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we." We've seen his crossing ability. You know, he'll be putting in loads of great balls into the box. And even the ones who thought he would thrive, because some thought he might struggle because of his temperament, they thought it'd be more of a classic right-back. And obviously he's been this kind of inverted left quarterback, really. Um, He wanted to go after about nine months just because the tactical demands were just so different to what he was used to. Um, Obviously with Grealish, I suppose it is different as well. You've got less space to run into. You're not in as many kind of one-on-one foot battles. Um, you're, you're touching the ball a lot less. You know, you're not the main man. You're not the one they all look to. So some games, City just go entirely down the right-hand side. So Grealish will be looking over and thinking, well, oh, I'm not getting the ball here. I know there's been a load of games where Mahrez has been stretching the play on the right, but it's all been down the left. So it's those things you need to adapt to, really. But like you say, you, you reeled off those players there. I also remember Leroy Sane had a slow start and then obviously burst into life. Um... Bernardo Silva had a bit of a patchy first season. Um, Cancelo, like you mentioned. Uh, um, Rodri. Basically everybody. The vast majority of City signings have needed a year to bed in. Um, I think it, it's mainly because of just the different style of play, the different demands, all the things you need to, to bear in mind. Like when you're here, you need to be there. He needs to be there. And when he's there, you need to be there. All these kind of things. And it's just, it's a very different game to what he's playing at Villa. But also I think... That also works both ways. I think we probably need to appreciate that he's not going to be the same player because he's not being asked to do the same things. Um, certainly, you would like a couple more goals to show for it, you know. And the price tag's always going to demand that. But ultimately, it's not the price tag I think, especially when it's City, that demands what's going to what's going to be the level of performance. It's going to be the the adjustment time. And whether you cost ten million or, or hundred million, it's probably going to take you a year or a season. To, to understand what Guardiola wants, and then from then on, um, you can really hit the ground running. And that's why I've not I've not really got into the Grealish debate too much, other than to say we can have this debate in a year's time. If it's still not working in a year's time, then we can talk about it. But for now, we've seen it all before in terms of players needing time to settle in. So I wouldn't be unduly, unduly worried about that. It doesn't matter. That's the luxury of the the quality of the squad they have at the moment. That's exactly uh, yeah yeah exactly. And you can think like you can think that's a terrible thing because. They don't need a £100 million signing to come in and make the difference. Like, Chelsea needed Lukaku to come in and make the difference to win the Premier League, or that's at least how it was painted, and it hasn't happened, so they haven't won the league. Whereas City can make a £100 million signing, and whether it's, 
whether you think it's a terrible thing for football or whether you just say, well, that's how good their squad is, fair play to them. It's, that's the fact. They don't need somebody to come in and make that, that massive difference, um, which is unusual. It's not something we've had to get our heads around, really. But are, there we are. Are they going to go through? I think so. I think, I think they're the better team. Um, I, I, Madrid haven't played particularly well. They didn't play particularly well against PSG. They didn't play particularly well against Chelsea, obviously, in that second game. The only thing you worry about is they just, they're, they're a team that they won't die. You know, City could be... City miss chances as well. And if they miss their chances and Madrid don't die, then you've got a recipe for disaster there. But I think if you're asking me who's the better team and who'll have most of it, I'd have to go, I would have to go with City, yeah. All right. Sam, good stuff. Enjoy the games. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, guys. Always a pleasure. It's Sam Lee of The Athletic there giving us his thoughts on the games tonight. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to go through. I think Manchester City will go through. I think it'll be Manchester City versus Liverpool final. I think Liverpool will beat them in the final. Um, so Villarreal versus Real Madrid, it will be, I guess. Like no. this is obviously tonight's a tie. What would what would the what would the best final be? I mean, City Liverpool will be the best final. Like they've put together two cracking games already this season in the Premier League, two really really brilliant games. So another opportunity and the cup to see that. Yeah, the cup was probably like obviously the least of a contest, but uh, the, the last few minutes were exciting and also the quality throughout was absolutely outstanding, with the exception of Stefan and goals from Manchester City. OTB. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.